Gary. Oh. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to your favorite podcast, at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. It is time once more to assemble the quartet, those for whom time is but a face on the water. That's right. It is time for another quarterly king. These are special sit downs every 25 episodes or so meant to celebrate our own Roland Deshane, Uncle Stevie himself, Stephen King. I am one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. Typically with me is the good boy, Reed Lackey. And he was here a minute ago, but he said he'd been scratched by some critter and wasn't feeling so well. You know, listeners, for just over a month, Reed and I, while we wait for him, uh, have discussed the entire Michael Myers saga in our series, Halloween at Halloween. But today, that's right, it's Courtney King time. Today, I am joined by longtime friends of the show and your Quarterly Kings, Andy Whitfield, Blake Collier, and Ian Olson, welcome back to the show, boys. Hey, okay. Well, if you can't if you can't tell, listeners, uh, we are remarkably all sitting in the same room. It's uh, it's fun times. In fact, not only are we recording this all together, which is exciting, but we opted for the sake of getting the best audio and eliminating background noise to record in Blake's car. Um, so it's not the most comfortable spot, you know, it's just neck, neck, uh, the neck isn't going to enjoy this after a while. Uh, we'll soon get a little hot 
but we should only be here, I don't know, an hour and a half or so. That's not too bad. Meanwhile, I'm hungry. Boys, yeah, you, you fed right into it here. Y'all go ahead and munch on some of the snacks you brought. Well, I remind listeners that here at The Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain. Except for right now when I explain that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at thefearofgodpodcast.com. Things like how to support us on Patreon, as well as essays, team bios, episode archives, merchandise, <laughs> Read! <laughs> Somehow that bark is far less intimidating than Pooja. <laughs> I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> Everybody out of the car. Right. <laughs> Just step around it. Just step around it. Kick that dog. Oh my God, he bit my ankle. Read. It's Hi. quarterly king time. I am so excited. And we're with... Our quarterly games. This Yay! <laughs> Listen, listeners uh, may not realize just how absolutely absurd this conversation is probably prone to get because, like, when all of us get it's, into a room, you don't know. Uh, it's a, you know, Zoom so, imposes a certain level of constraint. It does, where it's even like, for us. Yeah, exactly. I just, I, you know, most people assume, like, oh, I can't, I can't just poke the comment in there because it might be missed in Zoom. So, sure. not, you know, so th- it does. It, it, it uh, kind of shackles us a bit. But uh, we are unbridled this morning. We are yes. shackled. So, uh, yes. Well, we're probably lit by, a little bit by fatigue, and which is why we're all uh, true. Uh, have our coffee at the ready here. Lots of coffee. Yes, indeed. Cujo. Hey! So, Cujo. So, um, we had decided, uh, actually shortly after recording Firestarter, which was our last one, um, that Cujo would be our next tackling subject. Uh, it's pretty, <laughs> pretty appropriate because, um, and I don't have this detail in front of me, but I do know that Cujo and Firestarter were... Uh, the they buddied up against each other in publications. So I can't remember if and, and could probably quickly look it up, but I can't remember if Cujo was first, and then if Firestarter came after that, or if Firestarter was first, or Cujo came after it. But these were just in your copy, you know, yeah. But but, um, <laughs> but these were published together. Uh, why don't we start with a bit of um, personal sort of uh, acclamation of the material? So. This one, uh, also somewhat important, uh, the very, I think I've said this on pod during Firestarter, the very first Stephen King novel I ever actually read, I think I had seen a couple of his movies before reading any of his material, but the first one was Eyes of the Dragon. That was my very first Stephen King novel that I ever read. Um, then the very next one that I read was Firestarter. And then... I followed Firestarter up with Cujo, which is why it's hard for me to remember which was publication uh, published first, because for me, it was always Firestarter, then Cujo. Um, and I can remember after reading those two, I it, it's hard for me to put myself back in my teenage brain space, but I remember that was very much the door open to like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to read everything that I can get my hands on now. And I don't remember the sequencing after that. Um, but I remember the first thing that struck me about Cujo was because I read it as a teenager where a tremendous amount of the adult concerns in the books, uh, in the book, didn't land for me. I just didn't, I, I had no life experience to really understand, like, I mean, I understood what it was communicating, but I couldn't, I, I couldn't onboard with any of it. I was like, I don't, I don't know, I didn't have kids, I wasn't in a marriage, there was, uh, so a lot of it was lost on me. Um, this 
to prepare for this conversation. It's the first time that I have reread it. I think I had seen the movie a couple of times since then, but this is the first time that I reread the book was to prepare for this conversation. And so uh, I'm not sure where everybody will, will land on this, but I actually found the book this time around uh, probably because of all of those resonances to, to land a bit harder for me. Uh, I do have a you child. Just mean more positive, but okay. Yeah. No, 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 I'm not even saying positive. I just right, but yeah, I was, I was able to. Yeah. yeah, I was able to um, empathize and sympathize with the potential of the occurrences significantly more than my first reading. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, I, I do have a son now. Uh, I am married, and so a lot of those particulars, which were lost on me my first reading, uh, amped up uh, in in a way that I wasn't quite expecting. Um, so where I'm sitting at the moment, and then we can kind of go around with just like history with the book, feelings about the book, um, is at the moment I, uh, have more immediate appreciation for the book. This con this conversation will probably play out how much ex enjoyment I have of the book, but I have more appreciation for the book. Um, and so that's, that's that the, the movie, which we are ostensibly in this conversation discussing the book and the 1983, movie adaptation um the movie i i am less in on i uh i have more thoughts about the book than i do about the movie well let me let me go next only because i wanted to give our our uh, uh quarterly kings permission to think similarly here to either of us here so i i, I only knew the sketch it's it's title and what the title was about you know rabbit dog um and and i I think I'd seen cover art for the film over the years, so kind of understood at least Rabbit Dog confines uh, a hapless bystander, as it were, didn't know any context of story. So this, for this conversation, was the first time I'd read the book or seen the film. And I, I did, it should be mentioned, I did listen to the audio. And, and there is a case to be made that even that experience is different than the actual experience of reading it, you know, the prose version. Um, you know, my... my the, the the time we spend in this conversation uh, will address some of this stuff more directly. Um, but I was I, because I was unprepared for what the course of the narrative was. I didn't um, to cut to the chase. I actually enjoyed the economy of the film more than what I felt like was some overindulgence. Overindulgence is a uh, um, my word, I don't know that in a real critical sense it does this, the, the narrative of the book does this, but I kind of kept wanting to get back to to the conflict, you know, and um, or the the titular conflict, you know, the, the, the longer we stayed away from that, uh, the kind of more bored I was yeah. with the the overall piece. And again, I there's a there's a world where someone could say, well, you were listening to it on audio it, one and a half speed. And so you were clearly not trying to dig too deeply in, which may be a fair criticism, but for just the immediate surface level knee jerk takeaways, having done both, I kind of actually, I was pretty neutral on the book, kind of liked what the movie did. Um, so that, that, that I, I guess uh, that would sort of be my summary sort of approach, which the reason I wanted to go ahead and go is not to dominate, but just to say, Oh, okay. There's, there's, you know, you like the book a little more than the movie, maybe a lot more. I was in reverse, and so letting yeah. letting our 
conversants uh, have that as well. Andy, what, what about you? What did you, what was your experience with the book and or movie? And uh, what did you think in this? I had known what it was about um, as far as Rabbit Dog, um, but I didn't know all the stuff. I'll admit that I did not read all of the book um, as, you know, the everyman. Anyway. But I know you saw the film. I saw the film. I saw it and um, I really I liked the film. I liked it a lot better than some of the other ones that we've watched. Mm-hmm. Um, I I thought I like a compact story mm-hmm. that I can understand that is very like this is what happens. Here we are. We're stuck in a car. Here comes the rabbit dog. Yep. I like the compact story. Um, I think the the extra that King adds is um, unnecessary. But then the film wouldn't be as long as it is. So yeah. <laughs> that's that's well, kind of, and I do think you know I, I can't not interject as, as a rule, but I, I think I think almost the title sets you up yeah. Yeah. for the expectation of a, a more direct line. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wonder, because you said you'd read the book before, right? Yes, I, yeah. And I wonder if in the future, not in the immediate, were I to re-engage the text, knowing it's not as direct a line, yeah. would I have find more to appreciate there? And, and to affirm, the first time, and I was going to interject this earlier, uh, your description of like, hey, I got bored and there was a lot of, I kept wanting to get back to the main conflict, very much resonated with my first experience of it, which I largely chalked off to not being able to relate to some of those sure. other side quests, as it were. Um, and so I kept just wanting to get back to, you know, <clears throat> I can understand a woman and her child mm-hmm. trapped in a car, can't can't get out. And and so I could understand that and found that really uh, fascinating and, and uh, suspenseful. So I kept wanting to drive back to that. That's why this reading surprised me at how much I did, you know, because I remembered going in, yeah. I was like, hey, there's a lot of, side information about it and so then this time around those side pieces of information i was like oh dang like okay all right and yeah and, and it yeah. did land differently so yeah well, you, you, i'm sorry can I, can I? yeah please <laughs> go right ahead sorry. it's still early Listen, we're all drinking our coffee we're all clear the cobwebs um, the refill yeah <laughs> it was really cool it's i i really like the special effects too um, with the dog, um, Reed has more information about it, but I thought it was kind of funny that that can I mention the special effects or yeah, 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 go um, ahead. That they apparently they covered the dog with um, egg yolk, right, Reed? Yes. And um, the dog would eat the egg yolk. Yeah, off yeah. Of yeah. yeah, it was like a sugar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> There's a scene because I had read that on IMDb, and there's a scene in the movie when uh-huh. Cujo is perched on a porch uh-huh. and he's laughing his jowls, and I was like, "That's it." They kept it in, yeah, because it kind of worked in the moment. Yeah, yeah. and um, the fact that they put like toys on the car to make the dog go into yeah. it. I, 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 I love the inter- the what went into making this movie because it's mm. not. It's not um, like the movies we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, 
with Keen because it was very CGI heavy and mm-hmm. very good. And then Salem's Lot was awful. Zapalo. Run down. And he woke up ready. <laughs> he didn't know what he was going to say about Cujo, he but he knew he was going to take shots at Salem's Lot. He couldn't even sleep last night. But it just seemed more compact, and I liked it because. I didn't have to find deeper meaning mm-hmm. in all of it, yeah. you know, and that that was nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. good. Man, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> um, so I first read Cujo um, in third grade. So that, as with most of the other, oh, you've not heard the story yet. We've been doing Orderly really King since 2017. <laughs> <laughs> we did a podcast in third grade. Yeah, I, you were demented. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was Corey. So, yeah. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Halloween foreshadows. Um, I had not seen the movie yet. I dove into King because I loved the movie Salem's Lot, which rules. It's awesome. And the miniseries. The miniseries. Yeah, yeah. Not the Rob Lowe travesty, which did not I exist at this time. Egg. <laughs> Listeners, uh, see our quarterly king. Yes, <laughs> yes. Editor, editor's note. Uh, <laughs> issue number. Uh, right. I don't know. <laughs> no, just like that uh, minute number. <laughs> Editor subnote. Make issue numbers. <laughs> um, yeah, I read it as part of my completest streak after reading the ones that I knew I really wanted to, such as Salem's Lot, um, The Stand, the Tommy Knockers and other things. And then it just became a, a need for completion. So I read Cujo and um, I forget when I saw the movie, I did not find it especially noteworthy. It was, um, it struck me as um, similar to how they're used to, it, it essentially was a rule that there were not good comic book movies. So for a long time, I felt like there are not good Stephen King movies. <laughs> um, that's just what happens. One gets announced, you know, it's going to suck. So, um, uh, that, that's when I first read it. Um, I guess my short take on it is, uh, similar, very similar to what Nathan said, where it's clear to me what King wanted to write about. And then he needed a pretext for getting a woman trapped for several hours, which he also loves to do. <laughs> let's, let's get her stuck here and then really dwell on some terrible things. Sure. Um, so a bit of a sadist there. Um, <laughs> But I, I feel like that's why Cujo is ancillary to his own story. It's because what King really wants to talk about are these other things. But he does, at this point in time, he doesn't do that. So, well, yeah. we, need a, we need a creature of some sort. So um, that's, that's, my, that's my take on that. And I can delve into that more later. When, uh, after, after Blake goes, I want to, before we change subjects, I want to re-engage with some of that because there's a couple of things that are popping up that I don't want to further defer your oh, thoughts on the book. So I had I'd never read the book. I recall seeing the movie at some point in my young life. Um, my mom had taken my sister, when she was six years old, to see this movie in the That's theater. Good. Yeah. And six got judged by a couple of older ladies that were sitting behind them. Really and my me. mom, being who she is, was like, screw you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Doubled down. Uh, so there's 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 a 
there's kind of a, a narrative thread through my family history with this this book and this movie. Um, but I had I didn't remember the movie at all. I had never read the book. I listened to the book like Nathan did, but I did on one speed, normal, like sure. I just let it ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and to to put it very you know briefly, and we can get into reasons why this is the case later, but I came away from the book thinking it was the worst Stephen King book I'd ever read. Uh, and then Hot was, takes from Blit. And <laughs> I, segment on Fear of God. But the other thing was is that I was like, what would I compare this to? Like outside of King's like catalog of books. Like are there books Yeah, are, are there books that were that I had such a negative like reaction to and I couldn't think of any. So I'm not sure <laughs> what this might be my least favorite book I've read. Well, I mean, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna push back a little bit there, yeah. only from the standpoint of like elaborate a little bit. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll get into broader. But yeah. what is the summary statement about why? Because I think while I didn't yeah. love the book and, yeah. and largely would say I'm neutral on the book, that's a strong yeah. Take. It's a strong take because I found myself okay. So. Brief, brief uh, kind of tangent. Uh, my least favorite movie of all time is Hope Floats. Weird movie okay. to, to pick, sure, I know. Yeah. But I have a, I had strong visceral reaction when I went to the theater to see it. Okay. And I hated all the characters. I thought they were all annoying. And I didn't care if it <clears throat> happened to them. And you wanted to see Bernard to eat them. And I, <laughs> and, I, and I actually came out of this book feeling like I didn't care enough about these characters okay. for them to survive. Sure, sure. Um, you had flashbacks to but the other thing, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Especially the kid. Yeah, yeah. And the yeah. way he characterizes the kid in the book. Yeah, it, I hate when people characterize kids that way. Yeah, it's it's just that gnawing like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing kind of plays into what y'all were saying is that King creates this this narrative around where he has you know a woman and a child in this car with a rabid dog. And he just finds all of these ways to just extend the torture. And they all feel manufactured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like whenever, especially when they get to the point where they're trying to like figure out where they're at. And you have the uh, DA who's like super oh, logical. Yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. like, well, and, and you're like, no, just send what someone to the- you hear when that's how they talk? Well, I don't remember. <laughs> and it doesn't matter anyways, because sure. it wasn't well written. Yeah. So yeah, it's just. Fortunately, well, he did say that. Yeah, <laughs> and so I was just like, I was like, it doesn't matter what you think. Just send someone to the to the automobile. Like, sure. <laughs> it doesn't matter. So, so yeah, I, 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 those are some of the things that that caused me to have such a negative. Like, I literally was pissed by the time I huh. stopped the book. So I mean, sure, that one has to be. Yeah, I'm gonna pivot to Andy in a second, but I, I do want to. So a couple of things on that. Yeah. Uh, just contrasting opinion. Yeah. I actively appreciated mm-hmm. what you describe as the, you know, the 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 extended mechanics. Yeah. A personal frustration I have mm-hmm. is when it becomes obvious that um, inside the interior of a story, we just need to get a character to a location. So in their mind, they just go there yeah. because. In my experience in the real world, it actually does take a lot of the, well, what about this? What about this? Yeah. Especially when yeah. the heightened stress of people are missing. Mm-hmm. 
it, it wouldn't, it didn't strike me as believable that somebody yeah. would have been like, hey, let's check with that Joe Camber guy. Because it was such, in other yeah. places, it was such an ancillary mm -hmm. piece of, especially when you had, good or ill, the Steve Kemp character yeah. overshadowing everything. Yeah. I actually largely appreciated, at least that was just my take. I yeah. largely appreciated, like, yeah, nobody just leaps to it. And when they leap to yeah. it, it's almost like, eh, send Bannerman to do it. And I would agree with that, except they keep bringing Camber up. They keep bringing that's him up. A, that's and a I'm good like, point. And I'm like, no, that's a well, good if, point. if this is an idea that you're like constantly bringing up, like maybe you should just send somebody. <laughs> like, no, that's a that's that's a good point. And uh, Andy yeah. raised his hand, so let me. Uh, and then after you, I do have more thoughts. That okay, just been popcorn. I'm gonna overwhelm <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. I was Always just, refresh your coffee. Okay, like, and I need to talk. I was, <laughs> no, I was just I was just waiting to interject some other things yeah. while people um, were talking. But I'm just curious to. When and King, are we calling his series of books canons? Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When in the canon was he still an alcoholic? Oh yes. Yeah. It was big time. Very, yeah. very Did pertinent you, that you should. You didn't have to ring out your copy. So, so like very, <laughs> very pertinent to your question. Uh, in in his book on writing, he uh, you may recall he he said that he largely can't remember writing it because uh, yeah. he was tragic. so uh, enmeshed in his addictions at that mm -hmm. point that uh, that and and he cites it as a, a grief on his part. Mm -hmm. that he can't remember writing it because he likes a lot of parts about the book, but mm -hmm. he can't remember actually putting the, the words on the page. One, uh, uh, really quick, yeah. the yellow humor part of me is kind of like, I love that that's the case. And then he's like, hey, bro, this book's for you. <laughs> but I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> You're great. You're the <laughs> I wrote <that>. Anyway! <laughs> And I'm, and I'm curious, too, um, what I've noticed, I, I mean, Blake brought up the, the child um, being kind of, um, whatever. He has a name. Tad. You know, I don't know the name. Tad. 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 Blondie. Um, oh. <laughs> um, Leave Deborah Harris out of this. I, I think, had King had children by then? Oh, yeah. 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 So, before he ever started writing, I think he and his wife Tabitha had their first two children before, like, he had actually put pen to paper on things like Carrie. Yeah. And some of his early novels. He'd written m a multitude of short stories that had mm. began to get a little bit of publication. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, so, no, he was... Because I'm just, I, I, what I've noticed is progression, since this is an earlier novel, I'm Anne Heastraw. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, <I'm kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> um, put it down, Stephen. As he, as he progressed as a writer, I've noticed that the children are more yeah. real. Mm -hmm. um, mm. With Doctor Sleep, of course, mm -hmm. um, and but the children are more real. So I, I think yeah. that just to push, not push back or whatever, yeah. but I think that just the early writing and him. Not, oh, I agree. Not, I think it, he's gotten much better. Yeah, and and, and he and he, he, he probably hasn't experienced children as much yet. You know, mm -hmm. and if you're drunk, you. Well, as and, and this is this is not because because it's not uh, directly a part of the text. This you know remains to be seen how much we will or should spend time on this. But yeah, like the one of the major things that I uh, kind of under 
have heard about addictive properties is that it is very self insulating. Mm -hmm. Like you do get this, this cloud around you where it's just, it's only you and your consumptive needs that, Mm -hmm. that that really matter. And so then once you break free from that, you are able to observe and re-engage with the broader world around you, including your own family in a, in a way that you weren't necessarily able to. So it's largely possible. One thing that if you had not finished the book, we will come back to this as a point of conversation, but if you hadn't finished the book, um, Tad in the book does not survive. Oh, okay. He, he died, not, Cujo doesn't get him at the end. He dies of dehydration okay. because they've waited too long in the car. Yeah. Um, that King still cited that that was the most hate mail he ever received. Oh, really? Was when he had killed Tad at the end of Cujo. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, in later books has in other contexts has also killed children. You cited Dr. Sleep. I mean, the death of that one boy in Dr. Sleep is brutal. So he's done it before, but uh, later subject that we'll get into. I do think it's really interesting. uh, Tad's death looms a bit larger for some different reasons uh, that we can get into in just a little bit. But I wanted to just piggyback on a couple of things. The uh, main thing I wanted to piggyback on is my feelings on the movie. Okay. Um, I actively enjoy and will praise in this conversation without reservation um, some of the suspense sequences involving uh, the the mother and son in the car and Cujo. Like some of those suspense sequences I genuinely enjoy and enjoyed this time around. Why I'm a little less on the movie is because I think there's a clinical almost artlessness to a lot of the way it's constructed, particularly in that first half hour. It is literally just, okay, we're going to set the camera up right here and uh, y'all, guys, y'all guys come into the scene and just uh, say, say what you're supposed to say. And just everything is just kind of paid by numbers to get there. And then it's not until, for, for me, it wasn't until we got to the sequence with Cujo where I began to see like, oh, now the, oh, the director showed up, everybody, because <laughs> suddenly like, the camera angles pushing in some good suspense tactics of things like, oh, we're going to push in this side, but Cujo's going to come from there and stuff like that. But So, so I do want to point out, because I, I actually noticed the same thing, but I actually thought that that was actually the element that I liked about the movie is that oh. I thought that he was playing into it. The more that they get disillusioned and, and like thrown off by dehydration on in the car, the angles get weirder, like the turnaround yeah. shot. I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. And so like, it's getting like, it almost feels like he's actually making the direction of the movie. Conscious choice. Conscious choice to move into the stranger. Like, yeah. and, and so I, 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 found the, I found the movie to be actually really surprisingly good. <laughs> well, to that point, I can receive yeah, that. Yeah. That's a, that's a yeah. good yeah. note. Yeah. And you know, we, we ostensibly had some more pedantic, sort of segments, if you will, that we might still get to, yeah. but I'm enjoying the conversation. Like when, when for me personally, when you enter the story Cujo that's called Cujo and so much of the actual narrative is spent away from Cujo, it builds a certain expectation of like, okay, well, this is kind of interesting. I would have liked more of that. So then when the movie mm-hmm. I'm ready, I, I was ready to be neutral on the movie. I, I just didn't know. Uh, and so I thought, to your point, Andy, the actual use of the dog in the movie surprised me with how effective it was. Mm-hmm. I was ready for 
early 80s mechanized yeah. something yeah. but even because i was watching the shots yeah i was like when and can i tell if it's not yeah. a real dog or whatever mm. and I very rarely yeah. could you even really discern you know that it wasn't a, a living animal yeah. in this in the shot mm-hmm. um and so it, it showed a lot of thoughtfulness but but you bring up something that and this is this is not pushing into a specific theme, but pushing into thematic sort of conversation. You make a case read about what you felt like was the yada yadaing on the front end of the movie. And what it conjured for me was the question that I asked while listening to it is what is this about? Yeah. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel the, the, the text doesn't feel thoughtful enough, which again, you know, I don't want to belabor the conditions under which King wrote them, but it can't be ignored either. Right. And as someone who occasionally hates when you beat me over the head with theme, mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I needed more either. Yeah. I, I, I needed what it, what it read to me as you found the germ of a conflict. Yep. And, and then tried to kind of build tried to kind of stretch scenario around it with relative negligence to, okay, what, what, what do you have? Mm-hmm. And, and I thought a lot about Gerald's game. I was like, that is a good structure. Woman, uh, um, you know, unfortunately or not female character bound to a scenario, mm-hmm. like do something with that. And, and why I harp on this a little bit is by the end of the book, and this is, you know, someone might say, well, Nathan, you haven't woken up enough yet in your day. How did you miss this? By the end of the book, when one, I personally, um, uh, I'm trying to decide in the moment in real time, how much to dive into varying thoughts, but, but trying to make my point about not knowing what you have. It wasn't until the end of the book that it became clear to me, oh, you think you're telling a story of two families. Yeah. 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 But I don't know that you really did that. Yep. You, you, you told story that involves two families. pieces of puzzle. Yes. Yeah. And that's not equivalent. Yeah. Because, yeah. and, and, and why that really rang out to me was because the more time gets, someone could be like, Nathan, you are really dense sometimes. And that's fair <laughs> if, if that's the case. But once we're towards, we're trying to land the plane. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why the hell are you still with Charity and Brett? Like, I, I don't care, you know? Like, yeah, right. And, and it wasn't until the sort of lilt mm-hmm. their story gets at the end of the text. It's like, oh, now hear me. It's a pretty cool thematic thing if you do it well, handle this egg carefully. This force of nature impacts very differently yeah. and that i think that's yeah. what he thinks is the intention of the event yeah. personally i don't think it lands i'm coming to yes, you sir okay um you know tragic force of nature cripples one elevates other like that's a cool idea but things like as example why i would say it still doesn't work in the text of cujo is i'll just name drop these things and we can unpack them as we go if we want um at a certain point, you 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 realize, okay, what are the choices remaining for this story? It's mm-hmm. Cujo gets both of them. Cujo gets one of them. Uh, neither of them get got. Mm-hmm. To me, those felt like the clear paths. 
Okay. And, and, and I can work out why any of those would be helpful and, and work. When instead what we get is Tad dies by dehydration. I'm like, this is stupid. Why did you do this? Mm -hmm. For me, mm -hmm. for me, mm -hmm. it just, it, for a movie, I'm sorry, for a book that involved the death of a kid by unfortunate circumstances, it felt cowardly. Not doing it. Doing it the way you did it. Like, yeah, yeah. Your, your central conflict didn't, mm, the means of his death are a random impact of, I'm looking at you like I'm trying to build a case towards you. I'm not. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to organize my thoughts of why to me. He was. No. To, to me, I was ready and I was like, go for it. Have Cujo get them both. Like, yeah. not because I'm a, I am a sadist. No, I know. But because I'm like, go the distance because what really got frustrating to me about the book and, and why I think that the specificity of the movie I can take it more as man against nature narrative yeah. versus what you feel like, feels like the author wants this rich theme is so we, we know people in our life. We, my family, my household know people in our life for whom infidelity has been a major source of, of terribleness and tragedy. And so in a way that maybe absent that personalization, I wouldn't have, I responded very um, negatively is maybe the wrong word. When that story point gets as much play in the book as it does, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, where are you going to go with this? Mm -hmm. And y'all, he goes nowhere. Yep. Yep. And that's really unfortunate. And to me, arguably irresponsible. And why I would say thematically the book only sort of meekly gestures the direction of theme is like, I told you this after finishing it, because here's what's wild, it's, though it sounds otherwise. I didn't come away from the text thinking, this book sucks. I came away from the text thinking, I mean, there's stuff there. It's just not cohered enough. And, and I'll put try to attempt a final button here before, you know, uh, the rabbit dog Ian <laughs> jumps me. <laughs> um, but things like, it strikes me as so false that kill Tad or not, that they're okay after it? Yeah. Yep. Bullshit. No. Yeah. Like... I do agree with that, by the way. Because... So I'm going to defend the Tad thing after Ian talks, but, well, but I, mean, I agree yeah, with that point. Yeah. I'm just yeah. noting and, that. I and I don't... I won't go to the mat on Tad should or shouldn't have died unnecessarily. It, it just rang as like, okay, you... You, you deus ex machina him to me. Yeah. Uh, uh, but if, if you're going to lead so strongly with a narrative point of deep infidelity that actively causes rift in your characters. It's one thing if you, if you play it as incidental, they don't, mm -hmm. they play it as deeply affecting. They as characters get no opportunity to do any work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. And then you lose a child. No way. Nope. <laughs> no, no way. Over. Yeah. And in fact, why the two households, both alike in dignity story theme didn't register, didn't, work for me and rings false to me is no, they, if, if you're going to do that force of nature hits two families, one gets out, uh, uh, on the good, one gets out on the bad. Don't have them be together at the end. Mm -hmm. At the end, they, they're okay. Yeah. Yep. It's like, no way, no yep. way. Yeah. And, and honestly, death is a, is a, a bonding right. when it should have been a dissolving agent. Right. And, and, and that does, that does ring false. I have further thoughts, but Ian, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sensing in the wind 
that as you gestured towards, we're just kind of moving into sure. into this. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I want to back up some of what you're saying. You're you're. I think you're being meek, and what I want to do is not <laughs> not go like full bore Cujo on it uncharitably. But I want to be clear that um, I'm not attributing this to the condition of being a severe alcoholic. Because at the end of the day, this is not a uh, the work of an auteur. Because there there is a group. This is a group effort. He has an editor. He has a publisher. And if it is something attributable to like being incapacitated, then there are others who will say, Stephen, you... <laughs> We can't do this. Like, mm-hmm. you, you have to work on this. This needs to be finessed. This doesn't make any sense. So there, as a group effort, I'm going to go to the mass saying this failed as a group effort. And I have to attribute that to his besetting failures as a writer. So I'm not saying that everything he does is a failure. I'm saying the things that we gripe about consistently when we talk about King, I see most evident in Cujo. And part of it is, I simply do not believe these people are real because he, what King does is say, well, I'm going to have some yada yada and then make people unlikable. And then that'll be real people. And I I also see this in Christine, for instance. Um, I see it in a lot of his work, but especially I think front and center in Christine and Cujo. Um, Like what people are not ideal beings. So I'm going to make them kind of yucky. Right. And then they're going to major on minors and yada, yada. And those are people. That's people. And I think that that, again, is attributable to uh, a myopia in King. Like he does not, in a very important part of his soul, get people. And then we can attribute that back again, maybe to um, his biography at the time. Not completely, because I think Salem's Lot does succeed in like making believable people who are not simply um, cardboard stand-ins. They're not um, how we have Henry V's army on stage. Like, we know they're not people. They're just cardboard cutouts. But, you know, amidst amidst the scenery, we buy it. Um, Cujo, I do not find populated by a single real person. Um, And if he doesn't understand people, if he can't make people come to life, he also can't make their woes come to life. Hmm. And so I see this as like, hey, let's, I want to cover this heavy thing. Because I do. And writers do that. Right? Sure, sure. Yeah, okay. Um, but again, I feel him trapped by the machinations of like, well, I'm the, the horror guy. I'm the king of horror. Um, I'm the king. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> in, fact, <laughs> not, in fact, I don't think that that happened. I think that's just what he... Sure, sure. I think that is a function of what he does, so it's not conscious. Um, but I do think that this is an instance of the, the discipline... We talked about on writing and we talked about the pluses of like, look, he, he goes to the typewriter every yeah, day yeah. and he cranks it out. And that's why he can make an entire 357 page novel that he does not remember. Right. Because the discipline, the discipline is there. Right. Right. Yes. That. So there, our strength is always our weakness. So yes, that, that pumps out 40 plus novels, mm-hmm. right? When some people sell for three in the same amount of time. Right. right. Um, but that also is going to. I'm not trying to bash it entirely either because it's like uh, I've seen this um, with some uh, uh, teachers that that I respect. Like they, they'll take uh, their art class and then divide it in half. Like, okay, I want you guys to make something every day of the entire semester. I want this group to focus on two things during the semester. 
And then the sheer quantity of like noteworthy things is going to be on the side of the people who are making something new every day. Yeah. The downside of that is that there's also just going to be forgettable crap. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that's, I guess that's what I'm saying. I see with, with King, not just with King. I mean, like Paul Westerberg of the replacements, one of my favorite bands, right? His highs are highs, like just absolutely stunning, unforgettable stuff. Also has written some of the worst songs I've ever heard. Yeah. They coexist in this one person who nevertheless, like, oh, he got up. I sound like you're, you're Paul Westerberg or the clash, dude. Yeah. My favorite band of all time has also made some of the and songs I skip. The worst al- albums of all time. Santa Nixta is a bad triple album. Yeah. <laughs> a, a triple album, <laughs> right? It is padded liberally with crap. It's, it's funny you said this because I know you're sitting on thoughts that ran out of direction and how do you or let you talk. Um, you're using the, the music, the band metaphor here is uh, I'm a big Killers fan, as you all know, just happened to see them. I uh, shout out my Murray in D.C. and Brandon Flowers for, for good measure. Um, alive. Right. And uh, my, my brother is, too, and he's been on the show before. Uh, uh, the band released a couple of albums over the last few years. One of them I really enjoyed, and my brother surprised me. He was like, oh, it's not, I'm not as big a fan. The next album, he was like, I love this. And I wanted to be like, the, what? they sound, no, they sound basically the same. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't really understand, <laughs> you know, but to your point, yeah. the discipline, the flavor, like yeah. the discipline is going to produce the output. Yeah. And right. I found it puzzling, like, huh? Yeah. 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 And the output will be variable. And um, I, I guess uh, not so much that I'm trying to sink the Cujo ship so much as like draw attention to like the car. You're trying to destroy trying the car. To, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. I'm throwing it in the junker. We, I started by labeling Reed as Cujo, but it is clear that has scratched you, my friend. I look at that hole and you know, my coffee. Chase that rabbit. He is no longer Ian. He is Barlow. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm just saying that. Um, King's characteristic failures as a storyteller worker of text are front and center in Cujo and that ultimately is why we have the complaints that we do and I want to make that separate from I think there's the category of it's not for me I think that that's a thing where we can say like yeah that was well done but like it, it doesn't land with me but there's also just plain like no man, that's a, that doesn't work, mm. and I think that Cujo does not work. So, uh, so uh, I'm I'm going to uh, agree with an element and disagree with an element. The way you characterized it, as I heard it, was King doesn't understand characters, and so these characters don't feel believable. Where I will agree with that is these characters' worst tendencies are all exaggerated. I mm-hmm. I unequivocally agree with that. I disagree that this is not what real people think about. I think that the the concerns of the characters in Cujo are concerns and even tendencies that an alarming number of real people have. I think there is a lot of societal and, you know, sort of the, the machinations of you have to be better than your worst impulses that uh, restrict some of people's acting out, you know, and, and, and actually uh, in a second, maybe this will be a good segue to something that we wanted to get into about like just tackling characters as a subject. But, um, but I, I felt, and, and perhaps this is some deterioration that the last couple of years of real life have done for me. I have, uh, largely, this is sad to say, but 
with profound exceptions, not only of the people at this table, but of largely my, my close circle of friends, I have gone off on people. <laughs> like not, not as in like I pushed back to them and, and everything, but I'm just like, people have tendencies that shocked me and that I was like, I really like, you're really going to behave this way, talk this way. Like, mm -hmm. and I have, I, in a way, my idealistic person in my twenties and thirties would not have believed possible. I have witnessed it. Mm -hmm. And, and so that has, again, for good or ill made me more like, God, maybe this is more believable than I thought it was. I don't populate my inner circle friends with people who have these tendencies. Yeah. But I would not sit with you the saying like that doesn't exist in the world. I'm like, these, these, these do like, there are people who act like this. And I think again, where I agree with you is Cujo is populated by characters who embrace, not just succumb, embrace their worst impulses, which I do think society at large, uh, largely keeps at bay. But um, but in terms of their interior thoughts and everything like that, like I, I found uh, a frightening amount of resonance. I have, I have two more things to say that I've just been sitting on and then I'll then, then we can pop to another segment. Uh, first thing is uh, regarding Tad. So uh, and actually, I'll just blend them both together for conciseness sake. Um, this is a, this is something we'll get back to in theme. But to me, what resonated as a kind of a drumbeat your takeaway, uh, listeners don't know who I'm pointing to. Nathan, your takeaway was uh, like trying to tell the story of these two families. I do think there's some value there. And I think there's um, substance to your critique that I, that I think is really true. What resonated out to me uh, about a third of the way through the book, this became a tangible thought and then maintained. These are a whole bunch of people who have things going on in their lives where they are just waiting for the shoe to drop. And whether that subject be the dissolving of a marriage uh, and, and the dissolving of a marriage for um, Steve and Nancy is her name? Hmm? No. What? Vicky? Charity and Joe. No. Uh, the, what's the mother's name that's back in the car? Donna. Okay. So. Donna and uh, Vic. And Vic. Okay. All right. So, so there's Donna and Vic. And then there's Charity drawn characters. <laughs> <laughs> the names didn't come together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's early. Um, it is, it is. So uh, there's there's Donna and Vic, and then oh, and I should note actually, not letting myself off the hook, but I didn't take any notes during the thing, so I'm trying to recall it all from sure. memory. So there's Donna and Vic, and then there's Charity and Brett and Joe Camber, um, and and these are for different reasons uh, characters who are all just waiting for the inevitable, like something bad is going to come and something bad is going to happen, whether it's going to be the, you know, um, serial debacle, whether it's going to be uh, the, the, the infidelity that's going to come to fruition, whether it's going to be the abusive uh, relationship on the Joe Camber side that we've got to escape from, like that's what everybody's waiting for the shoe to drop. And what I found compelling for reasons that I intend and hope to explore in this conversation is nobody was expecting Cujo. So everybody's waiting for a shoe to drop. Meanwhile, there is a, a growing thing that is a bigger, more tangible threat that is happening right under their noses because they're so absorbed in. But so, so they're correct, sure. but not in a way that they expected to be, which is why I would defend. I, 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 when King kills characters past this point, it is largely because the monster gets them. It is largely because Pennywise got them. It's largely because, you know, the, the Rose the Hat or her troop got them. 
But in Tad, you have, all right, we beat Cujo. We beat Cujo, everybody. We beat the monster. Mm -hmm. But he's gone. And he's gone from something because that is the thing that kept resonating to me is the thing you're focusing on is not the thing sure. that, that really. And I think, I play. think that's fair. Yeah. And, and, and I am responding largely to uh, a, a once through kind of feeling. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's so funny because you, you talk about the character one, you're just a generous soul. And, and yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, no, I'm not, I'm not making light. Like, thank you. I, I imagine there's a world where if in the future I, I re-engage Kujo, it will be willing myself in. Like, sure. now, now let me really look. Yeah. Now let me really look, look and hopefully find. Because I just don't see the introspection mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. inside the text. Yeah, like, yeah. you are not, you're absolutely right. There are people who do all these things. Like, like the world yeah. is populated by these folks. What I wanted was more like, why are, why are we dwelling on this? Again, what I yeah. started with 30 minutes ago is, what are you saying? Mm -hmm. And and to me, it wasn't strong enough, strongly enough drawn to to kind of have as much sympathy as it sounds like you did. And and in fact, again, it, though it might sound like I'm not down on the text as much as I am. Well, I I actually th this this will segue us in, and 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 unless there's there's further thoughts, so. Apartment. I'm going to make one yeah, statement yeah. and I'm literally not going to expound upon it. We'll get back to it in theme. There's more than one way to be rabid. Yeah, that's, and that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Again, your, your generosity of, of, of theme there. Um, maybe signaling why I was so thrown by the end, realizing, oh, you thought you were telling a story of two families impacted by this catalyzing force which again would be a, a cool take is as I was listening to it in the way King occasionally is good at, I loved the anthropomorphizing segments on Cujo, the mm -hmm. character Cujo. Yeah. Yeah. Cujo's and, absolutely and, character. Yeah. And almost giving more credence to what I think you're aiming for as Cujo, the wrecking ball. Well, if that's where you're going, don't give me that. Like, yeah. because there's a world halfway through listening to the book, I was like, you know what would have been awesome to me as I'm sort of envisioning, okay, what could this have been versus what is it is like, give me Donna and Tad stuck in the car, the whole book and Kuja, give me narrative chapters of their introspection. Cause he's, he clearly likes Kujo and wants you to empathize with him yeah. on the front end, yeah. which is cool. And I'm, I'm down for it. He's the most empathetic How cool character. would it have been? <laughs> yes. How cool would it have been to get chapters late yeah. of, of Cujo's interior life? Because he wants us to think Cujo has an interior life. I think, yeah. I think yeah. he does. Yep. And and that would have been a really interesting, it, it undercuts where you're aiming for theme, but that would have been cool to me is like, make me feel really bad. Make me conflicted. Yeah. About what I want the outcome to be. Yeah. Yeah. Not just humans under threat. Yeah. You know, and, and that could have been really interesting. So let's do this. Um, as a sort of uh, a break point, uh, that, that's possibly going to invoke some levity, levity, possibly drive the nail harder into the coffin <laughs> on some of our feelings here. So, you know, we're talking about characters. Uh, King, uh, King's canon is littered with all sorts of myriad villains bystanders and uh, occasional heroes and you know uh, um the idea presented of okay you've got you've got two pretty differing 
texts here, uh, meaning the film and the book, mm. um, each with versions and takes of similar characters. You know, did you find, and we can kind of roundtable this, um, is there a standout that you really liked? Uh, and is there a standout that you actively disliked? Um, you know, you can pick Steve Kemp if you want. It's, that's an easy uh, punching bag there, um, but maybe not. I, I want to start just because I don't want it stolen, uh, and it's really the only character I really want to dwell on here, but if, if you haven't reread the text recently or read the text recently, you wouldn't know this exists. And correct me if I'm wrong, if I've got the wrong takeaway here. There is a character dropped in the middle of this book who, this is what I need correction on, if he resurges later, I don't think he does. It is utterly random and it is lovely and it is the farting mailman. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I don't think he comes back. No! <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like. Yeah. Why did we do this? I mean, it's fun. It's great. There's a whole section on the mailman with gastrointestinal problems <laughs> who can't help himself from farting at every turn. It is wild. And and I kind of, I was like, this, really? This is... That was one day at work for CB. <laughs> he found his end. Yep. You know what? Because in the text of the book and, and a mailman figures into the, uh, more into the movie, yeah. um, or at least screen time wise. Um, but as Donna and Tad are trapped in the car, the mailman coming becomes a, a potential source of hope for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I just love that in the middle of the book, he's like, what? Who is this mailman? <laughs> but what's wild, <laughs> you just reread it, right? Uh, what And what's wild is, he, it's just there. Like he doesn't, it's not even him making his rounds, you know, it's just, let me draw a sketch of what's his, what's his thing? Yep. <laughs> oh man, he's got some bad GI problems. So, clearly King had gas. <laughs> he was just like, I'm going to make this man No, he starts it one day and it just rips a really wicked one. And he's like, huh. Let's do it, you know. <laughs> but he kind of does that with a lot of characters. Like he'll, he'll enter, like so the sheriff. He, he Betterman, sheriff yeah. plays a little bit more of a bigger role in the in the book. But it's not till he comes to the place and gets attacked by the dog that we actually get a sense of oh he has a daughter he has a little family and it's well, like the king is like oh okay well I'm gonna give I'm gonna feel I'm gonna fill out his right. story. <laughs> well, but you're you're coming to my point, which is the beauty of the farting mailman. Yes. Yeah. He's a mystery. He's yeah, a mystery. where's that story? But like you, a fart in the wind. You, <laughs> like <laughs> many farts in many fart ways. Yes, yes. But you know, you you alerted me to this, and I I in in kind of prepping for. If this you're about to talk about the sheriff, let me. Yeah, that's fine. But you alluded to him being significant elsewhere, and well, I'll let you do it, but. I didn't realize more than just him. Mm -hmm. This is a kind of descendant. Yeah, of no. a text so so, so uh, Blake, you, uh, I'll go next only because the sheriff was invoked. So, um, listeners may recall Sheriff Bannerman is uh, a previous character from Dead Zone. Mm -hmm. Oh, Sheriff Bannerman is the character from Dead Zone who brings in Johnny to solve the Frank Dodd case. Gotcha. And uh, so, so, so Tom's scary. Yeah, he's Tom. Yeah, he's Tom Scarrett. Definitely not in the yes. movie. No, but, yeah. but he's Tom Scarrett from the movie. So, so when he reappears in this, um, I, I did you remember remember that? I did not remember it until this rendering. And I remember when I read Cujo before I had not read Dead Zone. Hmm. So when I saw it, like 
King does reuse names and stuff like that, but I'm like, no, we're in Castle Rock. That's Sheriff Bannerman. That's who that character is. And I was like, oh, I don't remember. I didn't remember him playing a role. And so what I was thinking is I was like, oh, cool. He's going to, you know, he's going to be one of the ones showing up. It's a cool little population. So when he dies, I was like, oh, crap. Like this is, you know, we've talked recently, especially covering the Halloween films about characters from previous iterations mm-hmm. who are then dispatched later. Yeah, right. And so so what I would cite as a character that just sort of stands out to me is like, oh, that's I like that. I like Sheriff Bannerman's presence here. And something that I may get into more with theme um, is, is when Cujo comes after Bannerman, Bannerman has a little line in there. And again, I didn't take any notes, so, so I'm probably misremembering the line to a degree. But he has a little line where he said, Frank Dodd, is that you? Did you get me after mm-hmm. all? Wow. And, and there is this, this sensibility, and he's thinking about his family and everything. There is this sensibility, again, of the, the, the shoe's going to drop. Like, yeah. like something, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get got, I evaded the monster today, or I evaded the monster in that scenario, but the shoe's going to drop. And so whether it be in the dead zone, psycho serial killer that we need to unearth to protect this town, or whether it be rabid dog coming at me right here in this moment, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to get got, you know? Yeah. And, and so, but Sheriff Bannerman's presence here, the fact that he is still a largely benevolent character as he mm-hmm. was in the, in dead zone. Yeah. Um, and uh, and he is one of only three concrete victims of Cujo in the novel. I was like, I had some pathos, and I was like, yeah, that's uh, that 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 was a big deal. I like his presence here. I like that King reused yeah. him. Um, and so so Sheriff Bannerman is my pick for like a character that really stood out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm glad he's here. I'm glad for the portion of his story that so, we received. It's funny you say that because <laughs> I did not remember that Bannerman was in mm-hmm. Dead Zone, mm-hmm. and I don't recall. Him giving a whole lot of description of Bannerman in Dead Zone. Like no, he's on. mechanical in Dead Zone. So, yeah. so part of me is like, he's still a mystery. <laughs> he's a robot. So, <laughs> he's still a mystery. So we're we're still good on that. But um, I had forgotten that Frank Dodd was the the psycho serial killer. And so the whole time in the book, yeah. I was reading Cooch. I was like, why did he bring this up? Like, and and tying it to the dog, like this weird, like, well, but like, if I can throw in, yeah. I know we're on characters yeah. here, but. At the same time, I'll criticize, I'll also praise King. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that is what he does. He yeah. paints a large swath across an entire canon. Yeah. And, you know, shame on me for not picking it up. Because yeah. like you, yeah. when Tad is, uh, um, you know, personifying his boogeyman as Frank Dodd, I'm like, who? What? Yeah. <laughs> what? And and it's clearly troubling to Tad. Yeah. Like, what? I don't, huh? You know, I mean, yeah. I really was struggling. Yeah. To the point that I was feeling critical. I was like, yeah. what, are you, what are you doing? I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. And yeah, so it, 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 it made it a lot more sense. criticism a little bit. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Quite a bit. But also because we yeah. just, you know, we just ran through that whole Halloween at Halloween where characters call out like Michael Myers, the boogeyman personified beyond the actual transactions that he made. And so while I would concede that King underbakes that element in Cujo, Frank Dodd as a looming, like, that happened in this town, and it happened yeah. to a repeated yeah. amount of people. I do believe that that would, he would, Frank Dodd would then become the name associated sure. with the Boogeyman yeah. Closet. Yeah, you know? totally. And, and, um, so, but again, yeah, like, I'll come back to it more when we uh, revisit theme. But yeah, just that whole notion of the, the myth-making we make to contextualize the bad things we fear are coming yeah. um, is is something that really stood out to me in this one. But, yeah, I think um, that's good. 
So uh, the, the Blade the Bannerman, Bannerman you're or no, no. Oh, okay. So so Bannerman was the one that oh, stood out to me uh, in in a, in a positive sense. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll pivot over to you for a character. Yeah, you got strong feelings about. Uh, I mean, I so I felt more for all the characters in the movie. Like so. I felt the things that I think King was intending us to feel in the book, in the movie, like the, the danger and the, 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 the terror of having a kid in that situation. Mm-hmm. I felt it more in the movie. Um, so I would say that like the movie gives me more characters to pick from that I felt were like a little bit more fleshed out, or at least cinematically. Um, but it's hard to beat Cujo as yeah. a character, both in book and in movie because because he's such a good boy. Well, he's a good boy. And <laughs> and I feel like both the book and the movie do a good job of giving him a presence. Like, yeah. like his own personality, his own kind of like inner life, like you yeah. were saying. Yeah. I think the movie does it well, too, by not having, you know, dialogue for him, you know, sure. in the yeah. background. But, but you see it, and it's the dog that they got was brilliant yeah like yeah the look he's had like the looks he had like it was, it was really good but so i it's hard to beat Cujo because he kind of crosses the boundaries of the book movie uh, as far as well really funny yeah. about the character of Cujo in the film one i don't know i'm just got a soft spot for big lovable dogs yeah. and, and we've just traced through halloween where michael myers sees a dog and stomps it out like yeah. come on man like what is your deal <laughs> um so Cujo is getting his comeuppance for his species but <laughs> but i love i was reading some behind the scenes stuff and because they had to they had to tie the dog's tail to its leg because it was so happy all the time. <laughs> They'd be trying to shoot a kill scene and it's, t- it's big old tail is wagging. Like, we yeah. can't have that. Yeah. To the point it does happen once in the film that they just, yeah. you, know, you know, couldn't edit around. Yeah. Uh, but it was just hilarious to me that that big sweet dog. Yeah, pres- presumably but, that dog was really jovial to like everybody, a real gentle giant. Well, and, so, and yeah. I, the, Strengths I'll give the film. Dee Wallace is amazing. She really is. Uh, and that dog, like the further it gets in the movie, you're like, damn, this sucks. Look at yeah. this beautiful creature just yeah. totally ravaged by this thing. Anyway, Ian, do, do you have a character? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Surprisingly few words. For um, I like Cujo. Yeah. So, so here, so I'm actually gonna, I'm actually gonna piggyback on on that. Um, that like. I said I said earlier, and I think the book ends with the statement Cujo was a good dog. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I found that for myself, uh, thematically mm-hmm. and and to sort of drive the point home, I found that uh, further solidifying of some of the things that I've been alluding to thematically along the way. It's like Cujo was a good dog who went rabid. And I said earlier to you as an offhanded comment, that like there's more than one way to go rabid. Sure. And it is easy. Mm-hmm. And I will not push back very hard on people who say like, but this is unbelievable and this is not well drawn. I, I, I get that. But I'm thinking of characters like Steve Kemp who are like, what in the world are you doing? But then that resonated out to me where it's like, there's more than one way to go rabid where it's like something has infected your sense of self, your sense of spirit, something. 
and you will behave in monstrous ways. And Cujo, I think it is so profoundly significant that Cujo, when we first meet him, he's already got the poison inside him, but it has not begun to manifest in him yeah. yet. And the way Brett talks about it is like, oh no, he's, you know, he's great. You know, he's mm -hmm. fine. And I think, I think about this a lot for myself. I'm a very small framed guy and, uh, and, and there's not a lot of ways in which in any scenario I'm going to be a profound amount of threat, you know, except, uh, when I'm the potential exists when I am trying to correct my son mm -hmm. and, you know, like I've, and I'm not saying this as a badge of honor or anything, but I've like never, you know, raised a hand to him in that kind of sense of things. But verbally and tonally, I've gotten sharp. I've gotten really sharp to the degree that my wife would have to say, like, that was very harsh that you just corrected him with, like to the sense of like. And, and again, it's just the sense of like, I am an imposing presence and if that presence turns on my child, who is, you know, half my frame, like, it's just like, whoa. And, and, and I'm, I, I consider myself, I mean, overwhelming well of deep love for my child. Uh, but if that turned mm -hmm. to any degree, like the, the, it's like, there's a responsibility that comes with that power. Yeah. And so one of the things that really stood out to me, I'm just like, yeah, Cujo is a big beast, but he's so lovable. And he like, mm -hmm. you know, one of the first images that we see is he grabs Tad in his mm -hmm. mouth mm -hmm. and picks the boy up. Like, you know, the impression you get of this dog is that it is just practically a horse of a dog. And, and then when that suddenly stops being good. And I appreciated, to your point about the inner life, I appreciated how King kept coming back in the descriptions of, like, it was the pain. And, and he would, it was the pain and the anger. And the noise. And the yeah. noise. Yeah. Just like, oh, I just can't take this anymore. And so what had infected him had pivoted this otherwise. And... I think about this a lot in the sense of like our best selves or our worst selves and the way that factors beyond our control mm -hmm. push us in certain directions because becoming the best version of who we want to be takes work on our part. But I say this sincerely, it takes a considerable amount of luck as well. Yeah, um, that's right. And, yeah. and that it's like it takes factors of the people around you. The, the, the coincidental circumstances that come along, External you know, context. exactly yeah. somebody there, there. And I say this completely sincerely, there are a multitude of people whose stories are profoundly tragic because while they may have in their, in their sense of self been trying repeatedly to be the best version of themselves, life did not play along. And, and, and they never got the opportunity to, to be the best mm -hmm. version of themselves. And so then what we have a tendency to do is to look back at them like, well, they're just terrible. Just make better right. choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this really stood out to me this time around. Just like, oh my God, like just the, the things around that you're just waiting mm -hmm. for the shoe to drop. And meanwhile, this, this dog has become rabid um, because it was playing with a rabbit. I mean, like it probably would have eaten the rabbit if it caught it, but like it was, it was playing with a rabbit and then like went down the wrong pathway. Yeah. And, uh, and so that just really, it, it, it beat a drum inside my spirit of like, oh my God, of everything, whether it be like the pandemic or politics or all of these other sort of things that sometimes tend to crop up or even just interior familial conflict 
where I'm just like, oh my God, like it, it just really resonated a lot with me. Again, I'm not speaking necessarily of enjoyment, but I found it profoundly compelling that sure. that sort of yeah. enjoyment. And I would, I would say that I, I so you, you have convinced me of the point that I think there are two parallel lines in this story that diverge at a point. And one is the emotional logic, mm-hmm. and one is the mechanical of the, narr- the mechanical narrative, the logistics. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And and I think as, at some point, I think you're right. I think the the emotional logic is there, mm-hmm. and I think it carries for the most part. Yeah, through the story. Sure. Um, I think the mechanical and, and what we've what we've largely kind of grasped onto as a critique, mechanical or the mechanics of the narrative diverge. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. it's like yeah, it's a sharp left. <laughs> so right. Um, but I, 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 I'm seeing it. So whereas I was having a hard time in my my real visceral response to reading or listening to the book because uh, it was visceral. Like I don't get those visceral responses often. <laughs> but I finished the last words and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have thoughts. Uh, yeah, I have thoughts. Uh, uh, and so I, I'm starting to sit, be able to break it apart because. I do want to give it some credit in that I think he was aiming for something important. Like, I, I want to say that he was doing a lot of things that you were saying. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't break those two parallel lines apart sure. and, and to see the emotional element of it for the, the mechanical. Yeah, I so, think that's fair. That's if, a, so if I can then, yeah. and, and I will be brief here, yeah. but I think that that is a, uh, a sign of how what we make means more than we mean it to. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't, I can't say whether or not King intended that emotional logic, or I, like, mm-hmm. there's something true about yeah. that. It's true regardless whether King is aiming for that or not. Sure. And right, so, right. I, I don't. I think that's why, mm-hmm. like, I can enjoy this discussion and think that mm-hmm. in terms of mechanics, this doesn't work. Yeah. And yet, like, this is here, and it's because it is not yeah. finally, like, not finally, but like, um. King the writer is a efficient cause of this text yeah. and its effects, but not the um, sufficient mm-hmm. cause because he is working with things that already mean, and so they're going. And to he's run. working with an external, con- you know, context that yeah. he can, yeah. he can and cannot control. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, exactly. Um, and and that's going rabid, yeah. if you will. Exactly, we can yeah. also apply to addiction. Yeah, you know? absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it always means more. Then he means it too. Yeah. Um, and that's part of the reason we can do like a psychoanalytic reading mm-hmm. or a theological reading because ultimately it's, it's irrelevant if mm-hmm. King means to have yeah. this iconography, this, um, this anything. Mm-hmm. But if, because we are working with something we did not make and that's language and that's language's natural hook and loop tether to a world that we share that we also did not make. Yeah. That is also, um, luck based and we try to hedge our bets with that luck and not always successful and sometimes that is what makes us more monstrous as, as you're talking I, I think that's an important point um, it's not really present at the level of textual sign in Cujo but I love that it was brought up like this these conditions are not chosen and therefore are a kind of a product of luck and I'm just thinking about how Epicureanism the the you know school of philosophy um, was a therapy of anguish and in large part based on the fact that 
this is a matter of luck. And, and so we're going to hedge our bets with how to live a good life. We are going to maximize certain kinds of pleasure because it's not pure hedonism. Because mm-hmm. it's like, no, that's nuts. Don't go all out like that. That's crazy. That's not virtuous. Yeah. Um, but it is about a shrinking of your world to something that is manageable to the luck that you may or may not hmm. be dealt. So it's like, yeah. look, just stay in your garden. Have a couple friends who are basically carbon copies of you so that you know you live sure, along, sure. right? There's there's no risk. And yeah. that ultimately is is soul shrinking yeah. uh, when, when risk is diminished in that way. When it is the predictability of like, I know I'll wake up tomorrow. I will have some thoughts with my students in the garden. I will enjoy red wine in the evening <laughs> as the bard sings. And this uh, sounds amazing. But that's the thing. Like that, that is a nice thing, but it, it is a, it is a contraction when that is within my control. Sure. And that will make me feel sufficiently good to wake up tomorrow because ultimately it's out of my control when I will die and I won't exist anymore. So I want to maximize yeah. the nice yeah. little pleasant things. Yeah. Um, in the interim, and none of it really matters anyway. So, yeah. um, again, that's t- completely tangential. That, that's not touched on explicitly in Cujo, but that's activating yeah. things that we're seeing, certainly. Yeah. Um, and we can talk about that with integrity, because, again, it doesn't matter if Stevie intended that. Yeah. Um, if, if, we, if we say, like, that's what he meant, and he didn't, we are, we are um, abusing the text. But if we say, like... Um, but this does gesture towards this regardless of intention, um, that, that can be a true thing. So that was a little longer than I meant to. Sorry. Um, back to, I, or I just, I, I want to go back to what Reed said about like rabbit mm-hmm. and how we all have the scent, not that we have the sense, but we, we all have the potential to go rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, we all have the potential to, um, I don't know if it's be. Would you consider it be bad, or would you consider it just be like controlled. be controlled? And so, what what it brings to me is like you've got um, you talk about luck. I, I don't believe a lot in luck. That's just mm-hmm. me. Um, but I I've been rabbit. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's something that we've yeah. all been. Like I I think that my rabidness comes from and I mentioned it before is when I become manic right now in my bipolar disorder. But um we've all been in that situation where we don't have control or we can't do it. And um going to Steve Kent, the the guy yeah, who yeah, yeah he, I mean he went rabbit. He he yeah. tore up the mm-hmm. the bedroom and yeah. and, and was upset. Just wait till you read the book. I, <laughs> goes significantly worse places. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it, it speaks to me because we all have that propensity to be to be bad. You know, it's in us because of our because of the fall and because of, of the sinful and I'm just waiting to go after. I'm holding your hand. Yes. Oh, okay. Listen, yeah. I am holding Andy's hand. <laughs> um, but I want to piggyback when you're done. Um, because of the fall, because of the, the thing. We have this thing inside of us that 
will creep out. Like you talked about, like you were a little harsh with um, Sawyer. Yeah, yeah. Has happened. It's happened know, before. And I, times, I yeah. have been harsh with Milo, you know, and, and he's only three, but like one time he was just running, 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 and just playing with these um, <laughs> stupid uh, birthday decorations. And I was just like, you know what? Screw this. <laughs> just <laughs> went to the hell yeah. uh-huh. And he didn't understand. He thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it's a core memory. Wait 12 years. All goes back to this one time. Yeah. Yeah. Dad said, screw um, this. <laughs> um, but, but we live with that. We live yeah. with the fact that we can all become rabbit mm-hmm. and that's that can be scary and maybe that's yeah that's a big thing in the book is, yes is we see it as our i haven't read the book but that's a big thing in the movie <laughs> in the story. it's yeah. inherent yeah. in this story yeah. yes yeah i was just gonna briefly say it's yeah. like francis bufford says he's a writer from england he yeah he puts in the words of the human propensity to f things up yeah right. that's how he says it like, yeah. yeah that is the internal issue in us and I think that um, I, I love what you're what you're adding right here, and I I'm not taking anything away. Andy, I mean, I love what Andy, Andy is adding right here. Um, and given where we both have been, what I want to add to it then is that unlike Cujo, what what we have as the type of agents that we are mm. is that we have to. Uh, um, the rabidity. I absolutely love. Well, I hate. I hate that it's an external thing that plays on something internal to us. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and we are we operate under its control. Yes, but to to get better, the therapy of what has gone wrong mm-hmm. does mean us retrospectively saying like I I did that. Yeah. Right. Like. Um, Again, that's not me disagreeing in any way. That's just part of like how we stop the tracks of Corey Cunningham or it, Cujo can't do that. Cujo can't go. I I acted in this way, right? Sure. Right, and and um, Donna is able to ostensibly um, Steve. That, that's part of the thing in the moment. Often you cannot see a way to ever say like I acted right. There is just force acting upon you. That's what you're aware of. And then you are doing these things Mm -hmm. and you can't imagine an alternative. And the way out of that pit involves not, not a denial of the externality of the rabidity, but saying like, but that's not all it was. I, I did do this and I have to, Stop doing right. this there. And that's what ultimately, like, I know that repentance can become a cheap mm. word that just means like feeling bad about, but metanoia in Greek is turning, mm. right? And you only turn when you can claim the agency that says, I am not just flotsam on the waves. That is what it felt like every moment of the way during these, these things. Mm. But I, I was acting. And I don't want to anymore, right? And that—that's just an important aspect of human agency in in the retrieval of like. No, I want to be a self that is not um, an overwhelming externality. Yeah, 
Yeah, right, right. But see, there's also, and, and I find this fascinating, um, there's also this tendency that the characters in the book have to assign more profound things to what has happened than just the I acted. One of the things mm -hmm. I do find compelling the further I get from it is this concept, and maybe it's because the Halloween movies are so resonant in my mind of recent memory, but um, the, the, the boogeyman idea mm -hmm. that there's, there's this thing that's indefinable and off to the side that I can't uh, tangibly confront, that it's going to infect and it's going to come in and it's going to get me. Yeah. King, uh, one of the things that I would cite as par perhaps one of his worst tendencies is the tendency to bring a supernatural element to the narrative mm -hmm. and make the supernatural element drive it. What I would say about Cujo is that, A, that does not happen. No, yeah, that's true. And when it is alluded to, it is in the minds of the characters who have assigned it to that. Everything that happens in Cujo is very real-world practical. There is not a supernatural element except in the minds of the characters who have assigned mm. that this is why something is happening. And I find that really compelling because we have a tendency to myth-make, which we've talked about on the show before, where we, as we, we ascribe consequence to perhaps coincidence, but just something that this is a thing that happened. And that makes it difficult to, to the point you were just making to enter into any version of substantive repentance. Yeah. Yes. So, so something that I think I've shared on the show before, I'll share it again here now is uh, my wife had a very astute moment of, of profundity in one of our disagreements, arguments that we were having about our, behavioral tendencies yeah. where uh, she would say of herself, she's, and this was, you know, purely birthed of the moment for her. She said like, when we've hurt the other one, she said that she denies that she's done it. I justify why I've done it. Right. So, so the, again, I'm just speaking it as a broad principle, like, you know, the principle of denial would be like, you know, it, 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 if I'm conversing with Nathan, be like, Hey, when you made this choice that, that really hurt me, and if you responded by saying, like, I didn't do that, like, mm -hmm. that's not what I did. So you're making this up in your head. That's mm -hmm. not what I did. Uh, the other uh, equally uh, sort of perverse way to respond it is, well, I only did that because this these things happened. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and both of those are profound barriers to entering into what you simply described as I acted. Yes. I, right. I, I, and, and, and that's one of the hardest things to position into real repentance and real responsibility and agency is because we're constantly, you know, like looking at the other factors yeah. in our myth making and saying like, but, but that's, that's the thing is it's like, there is a certain reality mm -hmm. to which Cujo would not have gone rabid if he hadn't gone down that path. Yeah. And at the same time, like the infection and, and I keep going back to, I think Blake, it might've been you who described it this way. I can't remember which one of us did, but it's like, the effect that rabies has on him is everything is pain and noise. Yeah, That's right. All it is yeah. is pain and noise, and 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 I do uh, in my better moments have a profound amount of sympathy for people who get destructive because the pain and the noise won't shut up. Mm -hmm. And while at that same time I want so badly for them to not be destructive and want them to act. come back. Yes. <laughs> right. Act in a better sense of self again. 
I just there is a lot of pain and noise out there. But that's but that's key is that you know if someone if we're looking in on another person, we need to recognize the externality. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Whereas, yeah. but but what we're talking about is how do we ourselves act in the spaces we're right. going wrong, and we have to recognize the agency. Right, not right. Externality, not let the externality define our our actions. Because what I'm afraid of is yeah. like I'm. I'm Am I saying that the total context doesn't matter? Yeah, no. No. It matters. It does matter. To see you. And within that, I did this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because what's powerful to me about this, and and I'm going to stumble my way through articulating this, but I'll declare the summary statement and then try to unpack it, is when we, in error, mythologize, we miss what's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And I would say true capital T. Um, Because what's powerful to me, however clumsily the narrative in the book gets there and and i don't want people in the real i don't want characters uh, at least mildly in, in entertained to succumb to to bad things or, or negative things but why it doesn't ring true to me that donna and vic maritally make it is it's clear at the end you want cujo to be this this wrecking ball whose effect is not luck-based, but is disparate. It, you know, Charity experiences liberation mm-hmm. because her dog went rabid and ate her husband. Like, yeah. she is now liberated from the terror of her own life. Mm-hmm. Well, Donna and Vic, whose marriage was already suffering, lose their child, not directly at Cujo's uh, uh, jowls, but as an adverse effect of it. And, and this is probably the worst thing that could happen mm-hmm. to a human. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I do kind of love that idea. And, and, you know, Ian, as, as attracted as I am, um, <laughs> to the notion of tend the garden. he gestured toward <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, to, to the notion of tend the garden and imbibe wine at night, that will survive for a while, but it, it shrinks my view. Yeah. And, yes. and at risk of, well, getting slightly overcome, what what is asked and required and is deeply challenging is a bigger soul that can take it all in. Yes. That can say why I can, why the book Cujo might matter is I deeply feel for this creature. And, and what's kind of smart is it's just nature that Fs it over. Yeah. Like I can't, yeah. I can be mad at that, but it's kind of a fruitless energy, fruitless use of energy. So, so you've developed empathy for me for this creature so that as the narrative progresses and, and it's, it's chaos starts to spiral. I I still can only be so mad like at, at Cujo, the character. Right. And so what you're left with is, is, is what becomes wrecking ball Cujo or bowling ball is almost a, a actually good metaphor here too. Cause it sends these pins. Right. Back. Right. Yeah. Like, can I be mad that it did that mm-hmm. because for charity liberation came. Mm-hmm. And so it's not easy. And what I meant by when we mythologize, we risk missing what's true, like to potentially to Vic and Donna, the myth assigned now to what Cujo became for them invalidates the freedom charity now feels, you know what I mean? Like it's not as easy as simply saying, you know, sin or corruption 
in, in a tangible sense, yeah. you know, uh, uh, is, is now a correcting thing. The way I meant by a bigger soul is if my world is so small, you know, cause to your point, like to my recollection, the only two characters who really assign myth to Cujo are Tad and Bannerman. Uh, Yes, like directly to Cujo, because everybody else, they're the only ones who assign Frank Dodd. Yes, yeah, that, and that's the point I'm trying to make here is... I think I think all the characters, just to make my point clear, I think all the characters myth make. The only ones who assign Frank Dodd to right. it are... And Batman that's the thread I want to follow here, is yeah. a child whose world is not big enough yet mm-hmm. to contextualize, and a law enforcement person who sees the worst and yeah. so is going to carry with him those threads and and personify into this thing the worst the absolute worst yeah. that his community is seen. and so when i say need a bigger soul like our our job as humans is and it feels like a bumper sticker and i hate it for that reason the richard Rohr's words ring in my ear of include and forgive like kujo is a thing he's a good boy mm-hmm. he's a good dog Mm-hmm. I can I can't just write that off, right? You know, right? My my bigger soul has to be able to say this terribleness isn't uh, all there is, right? Right? You know, it 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 risks for the Donna and Vic becoming all there is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it it even risks for charity becoming all there is. Right. I am now free because of well, yeah. Yeah, you, you became free because of a catalyzing catalyzing agent. Is that all you need to wrap your world up in now? No, not necessarily. No. Yeah. Anyway, I, but you talk about this this and beautifully so about a bigger soul. I mean, I think a lot about the ways that, uh, and I've talked about this ad infinitum on the show, but the ways we have almost an addictive habit to reduce things that happen to good or bad, mm. whereas. The, one of the things I appreciate about the fact, and I love your bowling pin visual there, that uh, the bowling ball scattering the pins in these all, all these different directions, is that you know the liberating agent that it was for Charity and Brett, the destructive agent that it was for Donna and Vic, and the fact that like when a thing happens, things don't break down that simply sure. to be able to say this was a good thing or this was a bad thing. You know, and I think about the ways in which our tendency is to like polarize the thing. Yes, uh, part of why I'm or part of what I've been trying to do in my own language of late is try to talk about health and damage and and to contextualize that briefly is very RPG. Is, oh, is it? Um, but like, uh, you know, the, the, the notion of saying like this is a healthy choice or an unhealthy choice Versus a good choice or a bad choice. Sure. Like this is going to produce more health in my life and the life the lives of those around me, or it's going to be an unhealthy choice and uh, damage or repair to the sense that like every, and this is a very existential statement, but I'm coming to a philosophy to say that basically every choice does a little, at least some degree of damage and some degree of repair. And that, that while the, the repair may be overwhelming in a sense of like necessary things, there's going to be some damage associated to it. So what is a good choice for a vast amount of people may put 
a smaller subset of people into a worse position than they were in before. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe there are some, you know, choices that are so titanic and voluminous that they um, that the damage and repair is widespread and is, you know, is very scattershot in how it populates to different people. But that helps me. That's my effort at the moment towards inclusion and forgiveness. That's my effort towards uh, an expanded soul to just recognize, like, I'm thankful for what happened in said instance. I can also acknowledge that what happened to me that bettered my situation or brought me relief might have made someone else's Mm -hmm. situation harder. And, And I can be sensitive to that. And I don't have to choose sensitivity or gratitude. Both can exist. I can, I can be grateful for the benefit to myself and be sensitive to, and and I feel like there's a real dearth of that kind of complexity in our thought patterns. We're just always like, you know, like you, you see it most directly in politics, but I would say the interior politics of just like personal relationships are like, why did you do that? You totally undermined me in this other situation. Well, the intentions there may have been just to try to do something good. You know, what's that old habit that they say, like, we judge everybody else on their actions, but we judge ourselves on our intentions. So we judge everybody else based on what they actually did. But we want our verdict to be based on what we were trying to do. Right. And and, and all of this is very complex in this and, and why I find just Cujo the story, Cujo the character. Uh, as metaphorically very compelling is it puts, it crystallizes in language like going rabid in language, like he was a good boy and everything and, and, and helps me to find ways to get a little bit more generous in my thoughts towards including things that otherwise I might be. When I think, I think tying to that is that something I've learned in the past 10 years of my life is that, sometimes there's just not a right answer or a right choice. Yeah. And I think it goes to the fact that there is no action on this side of the veil. Anyways, there is no action that does not have damaging aspects. Right. Yeah. For somebody mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? So, yeah. so it's because of the general ambience of brokenness that we live in. Like there is no perfectly good act. <laughs> Like, right. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it is yeah. all tinged with something. It's yeah. tinged with brokenness. Right. Um, and so uh, that's that's a it's a troubling thought, but it's also liberating, and it's a difficult thing to live into. Because uh, I think that also then allows for Donna not to forgive Cujo for the death of her son. Yeah. Because. I guess, I guess for me, um, to, to package this in real world flesh, I have uh, a better understanding as an adult of what has shaped and is shaping my father, my progenitor. And I have empathy, especially given what I myself have done as, as an agent, as an actant. And retroactively trying to say, yep, I did that and I turned my back on it, mm-hmm. right? Um, the, these, this context is real. These factors are real. That yeah. shaped me, that inclined me to try to escape the noise and pain, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and set me running like a big wounded dumb animal, yeah. okay? Um, 
but that metaphor works. <laughs> I was being literal. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> um, and I guess, I guess maybe uh, forgiveness uh, can happen, but not have um, a certain fruit that we instantly associate, yeah. like in the in the word cloud yeah. with forgiveness, like restoration. Yeah. Fellowship, you know, harmony, yeah. right? There can be a forgiveness where it's like, I know. Yes. I know why you did this. Yeah. But also stay the hell away from me. Sure. Yeah. Do, yeah. do not come yeah. here again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, I, I got to tell you, I think the last few years, like what I have wrestled with, with persons like this is uh, forgiveness almost feeling like a thorn in my side. But, mm. I, but I forgave him. It's like a curse of thorn. Yeah. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> but but it, it's a it's a burden that like I I cannot evade the fact that I am called to do so. And there are no one hundred percent good the 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 goodness and rightness of it doesn't mean that it feels good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, but also doesn't mean like, so now you are father and son. Yeah. And long yeah. last, like, yeah. no, because he's still cornering D and Tad, not D. That's the answer. Yeah. In the better version. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the, the rampage is still happening. So Cujo, Cujo, I'm sorry. You were a good boy. I don't know what this is right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I gotta put yeah. you down. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I have to. Like, I, I'm yeah. sorry to laugh at it, but sure. like, yeah. but like, damage and damage and pain uh, perpetuate. They, yeah. Right. They, they beget more damage yes. and pain. Yes. And 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 that's something that I have to. It has been hard for me, as somebody who considers myself to want to be a force for good mm-hmm. in the lives of those around me, that. I have done damage. Right, right. I will not be able to. I can. I can work hard to try to repair it. The damage happened, and and the pieces will never fully fit back together again. Right. There will be scar tissue. Yeah. Right. Right. There will be, and 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 hopefully, again, with continual effort to be my best self, and call it luck, call it the benevolence of a loving and divine creator, whatever we want to say, like uh, a, a force helping me and my choice to do better mm-hmm. will hopefully work towards a profound amount of repair. Um, but then at the same time, there is that like damage and pain that will continue to exist and mm-hmm. that I will have to, at a, some, at a certain point, I will have to include the damage in my assessment. Yeah. The damage that I... Or you're not telling the truth. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, will have, I have to stop uh, I'm going to uh, adopt the persona of Cujo for a second. I have to stop saying, I'm a good boy. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like I have to stop that at a certain point yes. and have to recognize like I am, I have made my way through the world and along the way, hopefully I mended some wounds and hopefully I planted some good seed in good ground. Yeah. And along the way I ripped up some weeds that I damaged the wheat when I did so. And along the way, I also made some choices that made things harder for people that they'll have to reconcile that, that 
approach, not birthed out of reading Cujo, but crystallized in some metaphors, but that approach has helped me to be more generous to the situations around me and the, and the people that I would have a tendency to be nothing but pain and noise when I'm like, why are you like this? Why are, why is this continuing to happen? And I can, I can take a step back and contextualize that complexity a little bit better, which invites generosity towards that person or to that situation to just say like, look, I get it. They didn't, they didn't know any better because they were hurting or they knew better, but the pain and noise was just too great. Uh, again, this doesn't stop me from acknowledging like that sucked and that hurt. And to your point, that doesn't oblige me yeah. to let them keep. Yeah. Right. Hurting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, 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 I understand, but you can't keep doing this. Exactly. I can set a boundary to say, like, I see where you are. Yep. And because of it, I can existentially contextualize that. And I see where you are. But that that does not mean that I'm going to let you in with all of the fury of your rabies. And that's that's a largeness of soul that I can, like, live with. Yeah. Yeah. If Mm -hmm. if there is a contrived, manufactured, largeness of soul trademark, Mm -hmm. um, that is the curse of Thorn. <laughs> like, no, your buddies know. <laughs> like, I can't. I can't live with that. Yeah, I can't. That's going to be my noise and pain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I get. That. Um. And I. And I. Yeah. Yeah. The. The. The forgiveness is forgiveness is always pain because you're absorbing. Yeah. You do this, and I. I. I accept that you don't want to. Yeah. Any longer. Mm-hmm. Even if, even if that doesn't happen, forgiveness is always pain, but it's a whole other level of pain. Like. When there is acknowledgement and it continues and it's the pain of trying to live generously towards an actant who is still violently rabid. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Somehow I was kind of dreading this because I did not <laughs> like this book. Yeah. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> now we're 40 minutes in and uh, yeah. this is good. So <laughs> yeah. What do you know? I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, I, I do you mind if I pivot from what we were talking about into something? Um, so what you said or what what I learned is Ted dies, and um, but they the marriage stays together. What my wife has told me, um, because she worked in the PICU and stuff, is a tragedy. Something like that can do one of two things. It can really break up um, the people, and they and you and you're looking for someone to blame. So it could be easy for the father to blame the mom that mm-hmm. Tad died because they're uh, out there, they're whatever out there, and yeah. didn't do anything. Right, right. Um, or it has the the way to bring them together. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it, 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 it's sad, but it, those parents who stick together tend to that it, it's just better um and i and i've had and 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 it's about like my wife has gotten on to me um at, at assigning blame um mm-hmm. cu- I, i'll share a story that a couple of weeks ago i was just sick and our dog got out and the reason the dog got out was because my wife left the garage door open and in my tiredness and in my sickness, I was walking up the stairs and we couldn't find him. And I was just like, 
And she's like, I don't know what to do. And I and I pointed my finger at her and I said, This is your fault. Because oh, wow. you know, yeah. and I had to I had to come back. She she brought it up later that night and she was just like, you know, when tragedy strikes, we have to be on each other's side. Mm-hmm. We can't blame each other. And that's just what resonated with me sure. with, with what with with learning that they kind of stayed together right. is yeah. is tragedy stroke struck she did commit um adultery mm-hmm. she did and i'm not saying but they realize that they had to be to get that i'm ass- i'm hoping that they realize that. yes if yes. i can sort of uh, uh chat a little bit because i'm with you i kind of like what I posited as, hey, here's the possible outcomes for Donna and Tad. Mm-hmm. You're not wrong. Yeah. So tragedy of that nature for parents is either mm-hmm. going to knit them together in a more profound way or drive them together irreparably. So why it struck me as false in this tale is simply the wrecking ball, not Cujo, of their own actions yes, of had already had already eroded that firmament mm-hmm. then that added effect to it, so it just it was almost this this accumulative sort of thing of like i just don't and because for better or worse it's epilogue mm-hmm. it's it's basically right. yeah. the end oh by the way happily ever after <laughs> yes and that's how it read yeah versus if you if the story is about you know or at least a a, a part of the story is about how could people survive this as a married couple? That's interesting and worth pursuing. Right. It doesn't do it. It's right. just like, boom, giant wrecking ball to their marriage. Boom, giant, insanely large wrecking ball to their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're okay. Right. You know, that, yeah. that's yeah. how it feels yeah. in the text. Yeah. And, and, yeah. But I'm with you. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think the... It, it happens so late in the novel, there wasn't space for it. But But there's a story there that could be interesting and worth and I think investigating. That, I think what's a real gut punch about Tad's death and why King's readers contemporary to the time had such a visceral reaction to it is because again, like he, even in later novels, there are children who don't survive right. and some of their ends are even worse than necessarily Tad fading away from dehydration. But Tad, and this gets back to what I was saying earlier and this is probably close to my final statement on the thing is Tad feared that, that he was going to not make it. Yeah. Yeah. And he spends the book fearing that he's not going to make it. Now he's contextualizing that as a four year old child as boogeyman's going to get me monsters coming for me. And, um, it it was just that, that I think is why it's so, uh, visceral Mm -hmm. of, of a thing is it's like, he spends the book, it's not uh, a heroic right. sacrifice. It's not uh, a narrative catalyst, you know, the collateral damage along the way. It's Tad spins the book saying, I'm not going to make it. Mm-hmm. And then in the last 10 pages of the novel, that line, uh, this one really stands out to me, is Vic saying to Donna, very, like, uh, it's, it's heartbreaking, but how long has he been dead? Like that's when you find out is mm. Vic turns to Donna and how long has he been dead? Donna doesn't know. Yeah. She, he's been dead with her 
and she doesn't know because she's been fighting the monster been fighting. and fighting the monster inside of her. Exactly. He exactly. Her, that her. Yes. He was like, so she's turning red. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that, and, and you, you know, we, we don't have time to follow a giant, uh, uh, we don't have time to chase this rabbit into the hole, um, <laughs> per se, but, um, what I texted you immediately after finishing the novel and I'm not, fully sold against this idea, even still, despite the richness of this conversation, Tad's death feels more like shock value than earned, you know, like, because again, if you're going to do that, we, we, we've talked the most, uh, repulsive horror tales for, you know, half a dozen years at this point, like we, we aren't, uh, afraid of stories going there, wherever there may be. Yeah, right. It's just if you are going to go there, mm-hmm. make it make sense more, make it count more. Yeah. To, and to me, I'm not, I'm not there yet that the narrative <laughs> earns that sharp a turn. Yeah. Anyway, I, without, I, I couldn't be convinced of it, but without robbing you of the the, and I mean this sincerely, without robbing you of that takeaway, which I do think, yes, there's a certain shock value to it. The way it lands is a bit more sensitively than that. Like there's, yes. there's yeah, not, I'm a, using the word shock value. Yeah. Yes, there's yes. not a bombast to it. And Correct. I do think, and this will not take a ton of time to unpack. I do think there's again, a, th- a rabbit that could be followed down the hole that says, um, focused on when we're focused on dispelling the monsters, it can be, frighteningly easy to forget why we're fighting them. Yeah. And that in that sense, like when she's just concentrating on killing Cujo and concentrating on stopping what's growing inside of her, the way that when he says, how long has he been dead? And she didn't know Mm -hmm. that does rise in me of like, you know, like, Oh my God, like I could get so focused on, you know, trying to just rid the, the things that I neglect why yeah. I'm trying I mean, to that's a great, things. Yes, you know? that's a very well articulated and, and I, I can get on board with that, which is, I, I hate continuing the, the drumbeat of, well, I wish X had happened instead. Sure. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, like yeah. that, what you just identified is again, just this, this precipitate. It's not even like a down, uh, a hill going down. It's not an incline going down. It, it is a cliff yeah. and it's like, you just push them over. Yeah. Why did you land it here? I don't know for me. But so uh, this will be my final statement on it in terms of before before we get to 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 like fog meter and stuff like that. But uh, I think what a lot of us are articulating, Blake, you texted me something like shortly after you finished the book. I think it was the same day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you, you texted me, and you're like, "No, tell me." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because at that point, I was about halfway through the book and was finding it richly compelling. And uh-huh. then, so when you said that you had such a, a strong negative response to it. Um, you said something that I think was helpful. Mm-hmm. And again, this is building to my final statement pre-fog meter on this conversation. But you said you said to me, you said, Reed, I think you're doing all the work here. Yeah. Yeah. And and I can receive that. Yeah. Right. But what I think I try to pay attention to culturally speaking is I think it's undeniable either because of King's overwhelming presence as an author. But I, I, I don't think so in this case. When people talk about dog gone bad, mm-hmm. they cite Cujo. Yeah. yeah. And I pay attention, personally speaking, when something has grafted into the imagination. Yeah. Now, 
Does that mean that the interior logistics to the point we're mm-hmm. talking about are all praiseworthy? Yeah. No, but something's there yeah. because it, you know, is ubiquitous in imagination mm-hmm. and that doesn't happen by accident. Yeah. People forget things that aren't compelling. Mm-hmm. And so, you you know, the, the fact, again, King was a popular best-selling author at the time, but Cujo has transcended to the degree that many of us knew rabbit right. dog Cujo, but right. had not read yes. the book yet. Yeah. You know, like it's, it is ubiquitous in culture. Do you know if it was ubiquitous after the book or after the movie? I'm curious. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. And that is a fair yeah. question. Um, but, uh, but you know, again, yeah. as, as a yeah. piece, um, I do know that the movie was not widely well no. received, no. but but whereas the book you know persists, um, kind of like Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that like so so for me, I'm just I, I I have to say whatever things might have worked better or whatever. Like just it, it wasn't accidental. Yes, he was in the throes of. Uh, you know, his, his addictive tendencies at that point. And yes, there's some logistic things that you have to indict yeah. as not being as strong as they could be, but something stuck, something stuck. <laughs> and so, and maybe that's just, uh, to your point earlier, Ian, maybe that's just King's discipline as a writer and his tendency that dis- for all of his flaws, his tendency to try to be honest when he approaches the text. Like, he tries to be honest about what is percolating in his imagination and maybe even saturated by cocaine and alcohol and everything else. <laughs> that it's like... I'm sorry. That's, I that's just, but it's like, you know, but that... But that, that he's being honest. There's, a, <laughs> there's, something, there's something there that did latch on that I think uh, even just all of the different takeaways that we've had in that metaphor, like, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of substance in the core that I like the way you articulated emotional versus logistical sort of uh, threads there. But there is something there that I think is that you have to say, even if I'm doing all the work to articulate it, like it was there. I didn't, you know, I didn't just invent it. It was Mm -hmm. given to me by. There's a, there's an iconography that's present there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And for that, I applaud it even flawed as it would be. And that is my, you're fine. Yeah. Does anybody before we move to fog meter? Anybody have anything? Let's fog it up. Let's fog it up. What's interesting as we move into the fog meter is that we did not we have not talked a lot about the the interior mechanics of the movie, which I find interesting, but also don't uh, you know, I will say for listeners who only watched the movie You've received the story. <laughs> you know, like the, the movie is a very... With the exception key of the difference. Yeah. The key difference in that the movie uh, uh, survives Tad. But um, but yeah, it's like you've received the story. Um, but uh, for Fog Meter, we'll do the same thing that we've been doing. I'm going to try to do some math here. But we'll, we'll do the same thing that we've been doing, which is we will rate the book and we will rate the film on our very specific metric of fear and God, uh, I'm just going to go around the table and then back around this way. So um, I will lead us off with um, fear. Uh, when we deliver your either fear or God measurement, do it for the movie and for the book. So um, as one number. Uh, no, no, two, two numbers. Um, so. So what I will say for the the fear measurement for me for the book, um, the, the I will say I the book really got me this time, mm-hmm. and I'm not letting it off the hook for people who had a lesser experience for it. But the fear 
really resonated with me. So on uh, fear measurement, I'm actually going to be very generous and give the book an eight um, for for the fear factor itself. The movie, less so. I did I did love moments like where she's looking at the car and she's please God get me out of here. You know, mm-hmm. this the little quiet moments like that. Um, some of the you know. Uh, film craft at work, uh, I think heightened the fear as it went along. I love the shot. I'll say this about the film. I love the shot when, before they realize that there's a rabid dog at play, the, the car, like the camera is pushing towards them. And then it's pushing towards them almost like a POV for a prowling predator. But then Cujo comes from the other side. Uh, and yeah. I liked that. And then it, it ends in the sweeping sort of shot of the whole farm mm-hmm. where you can see just how isolated they are yeah. and Cujo sitting on the porch just watching and waiting. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really yeah. effective shot. Um, so so I'm going to give the movie a six. Book an uh-huh. eight, movie a six. Higher than I expected. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, fear for both movie and film. So fear factor for book and movie. Um it's possible that I was unfair towards the book and how I took it in, but it is how I took it in. It is how I acted. Uh, and, and I got kind of bored, which diluted, I got kind of bored with the ancillary stuff. Uh, so which kind of diluted the overall fear element to me. So I'm going to be more for pure iconography, you know, I'll give it a four for the book. Whereas the movie, however much might be present, emphasis on might versus what we brought out of it be present in the book, the movie does most directly what you sort of think going in the story is, which is man against nature, that direct conflict that coupled with just the ferocity of the animal itself in Cujo, the film, uh, I'll go, I'll go seven. I mean, it, it, to I didn't, I mean, I'd read the story. I wasn't actively worried for them, but just watching it had a stronger effect on me than I anticipated. Sure. So yeah, yeah, so, yeah I'll go with it. Did I say seven? Yeah. Seven. Yeah. Yeah. Four and seven. Andy. Um, can I not do the movie and you still do, or not do the book since I didn't read it? I'll still be able to do the math. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, for the movie, I agree with Nathan about, um, the seven. Yeah. I, I thought it was very, I, for 1983, it was really well done. Mm-hmm. It was, um, it had the intense, you know, like knuckle, white knuckle, um, yeah. for it. And, um, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than some of the other ones we've watched. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, in the spirit of being honest, mm-hmm. Uncle Stevie's honest with what's on. That's my, right. Yeah. So uh, the book gets a two. There was never a point where I was like, I wonder what's going to happen. What's going to unfold? I I didn't. I did not like this. Sure. Perhaps not as viscerally as Blake, but I just was bored. Yeah. Um, the movie. Unfortunately, I missed with y'all because I was stuck on Forty Four West <laughs> in this great state of Oklahoma. But from what I recall, I'll give it a six. Um, four, um, how it pairs down a lot of fat and majors on a big old scary dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not going to do what you think I'm going to do. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to give the book a zero. 
I'm not going to do that. But I am actually going to copy Ian. I think Reed has done a, a lot of work with the book, but also in this conversation, helping me uh, kind of tear apart or clarify what I did not like about the book sure. as opposed to what I think is there in some way. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to give it a zero because I think there is something there. Clearly it's stuck. So um, I'm going to give it a two as well. Um, I think maybe in 10 years if I read it again, knowing what I'm going to, sure. I'm not yeah. going to have a different opinion. Um, the movie, I'm actually going to go a little bit higher than y'all. I'm going to go eight. Okay. Because I actually... There were moments in that movie that I was like, just like viscerally, like, oh yeah. goodness, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, because uh, yeah. Yeah, I like something about the way the movie was done. I did, I, did, I don't know the director. I don't know who directed it, but whatever they did, did what the book couldn't do in my imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me feel like the ferocity of Cujo. It made me feel the the terror mm-hmm. of being in that specific situation. Um, so I might give it an eight. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what would going back around and then I'll tie things off. What would you give both book and movie for the God factor? Book. Ah, man. I think I'm going to give it two again. I think there's probably things there, um, but I think you have to do a lot of the work yourself. Yeah. What you bring to it is going to be what you get out of it. Um, I think the, I'm going to have to say the same for the movie because once again, if you've read the book or if you have not read the book, the movie is largely the story, um, with the exception of the ending. Um, I think the movie is just more entertaining, um, Mm -hmm. but it's largely the same story. Um, so so I would say two, two, yeah. Yeah. So two and two, uh, Ian, God factor for both book and movie. I'm going to go with one, not with, not with spite. I don't want to say zero because we, whatever is there in its most vaporous, you know, serious formation that we drew on for a really great conversation. Hmm. It was not pure invention on our part, yeah. but like nothing for me to sink my teeth into. Sure. Like Cujo. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> I understood that reference. And uh, yeah, I'll just have to say the same for the movie. Like, um, I'm going to go with one more entertaining, paring down, focusing on the terror, but there's not something that is added in this dimension that's not reflective of something I didn't already say about the the books. Yeah, sure. Um, I I felt like the movie. you have to look for it, like we've said. Yeah. But, um, I would I would give it about a six for okay. God Factor because um, the redemption and, and things like that. I, I I saw some of that in the movie, but um, you know, I I I would give it about a six because it it shows us that it shows a group of people who messed up. Yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, there had to be external forces to. Whether sure. it be a rabbit dog or <laughs> yeah. or Frank Dodd, yeah, yeah. Frank Dodd, yeah. Um, so I'll be a little more generous towards the book, primarily because 
once it once the end is in play and the epilogue is at work and it clicked for me oh you are seeing this you off uh from the author's perspective in your mind this was the tale of a wrecking ball affecting two families and how it did that or didn't so that again how well that's articulated or not it's clear by the end yeah. by the ending that's what he thinks this is a story of and that is interesting to me yeah. and however sort of uh non-congealed it is i will give some credit there and um i think i'll land it up for for the book thematically whereas for the movie it to me when you when you turn it into the woman versus nature can human overcome this external force in protection of her child yeah that's a pretty it's, it is well done in that regard to sure. me. Yeah. Uh, and so even though it is a dramatically different thematic thread than what I think King thinks is in the text, it is, it is more articulated. It's more visible. And so from that standpoint, thematically, I'll give, I'll give the movie a plus seven. Okay. Um, I'm going to, yeah, I'm, uh, probably coming as no surprise to anybody listening or at the table, uh, I'm going to be remarkably more generous towards the book just because of the way that it landed for me and less so for the film. Um, so what I will say, and uh, this is all about like, oh, so what defines the theme for you? Um, my rating for the people at the table and listeners, <laughs> consider, consider my rating for the inherent metaphor of Cujo as a presence, a good dog, a genuinely good dog who went rabid and all that that sort of implies that anchor at the center combined with all of the things that I began to pick up on about people dreading a shoe dropping, but where they focus their attentions and everything like that just really stuck with me. When we reread Firestarter, I was just like, yep, this is the story of Firestarter. Let me piece some things out. But Cujo, every single page that I read, it was just like, man, like it just kept uh, beating this this drum in my spirit of just people waiting for a shoe to drop and then the extra threat that was growing inside it. So I'm going to be a bit more generous and I'm also going to land at an eight for the book. Um, and then the film, because it is more mechanical and because I'm watching the film bringing all the book stuff to it, I wasn't accrediting it to the, the movie. So I'm actually going to give the movie a four. Uh, in the sense that there are some nice moments, genuinely nice moments that sort of resonate that, but it doesn't, you know, you want to talk about yada yada and their thing. The movie literally ends. They haven't even passed off Tad. Like they're literally on the porch and then they just oh, stop. Oh, we had a yeah, great yeah. moment about that. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. we're done. And, um, and here they come the credits. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what I really wanted was a police squad era, you know, just free, freeze frame in quotation marks of them just standing there on the porch. Like, uh, jumping, yeah. jumping up in the air. Just holding Tad. That kid starts rubbing his so, eyes. So, um, so that means that we give the book, Cujo, on the fog meter, a 4 out of 10 oh, on uh, Fear and God. And the movie uh, ticks up a bit. Uh, 5.5 out of 10 cool. on uh, the old fog meter. Um, and so, uh, again, we can be briefer about this, uh, but, uh, just kind of going around in the same circle. Do you recommend the book? Do you recommend the movie? Uh, for me, it's hard to recommend the book because it's lengthy and indulgent, uh, but, ha and heavy 
really, really heavy. Um, I found a lot of good things out of it, but I don't think that necessarily means that I recommend it. Probably shocking everybody. I do kind of recommend the movie. It's brief. It delivers the story. I like my head spinning a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, because uh, the book became a bitter pill for me. And so that's why I'm going to give it the substance that it had. But also, I mean, and as is evidenced by the responses of the people at the table, I don't know that it's necessarily a recommendable experience, but I got a lot out of it. And so, so don't necessarily recommend the book. Do recommend the movie for its brevity and it'll deliver the story. Uh, I'm going to end with Nathan uh, Blake. Do uh, you recommend the book? Do you recommend the movie? Uh, I mean, if you're a completist for Stephen King, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, it's, it's, it, it, I think it would have been a better short story, a longer short story. Sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to know, you know, read a book about a dog attacking a woman and her kid in the car, <laughs> it delivers on that. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I wouldn't, but personally, I wouldn't recommend the book. Uh, I say watch the movie. Um, I think it, it, pairs down what needs to be pared down and it delivers the the visual and for me the emotional aspects of the book in a tighter time frame so cool Ian? book no movie i guess i don't know <laughs> <laughs> put um, that on the box <laughs> <laughs> you got nothing else to do i don't recommend it I thought yeah. I, I thought it was um, well done. I feel like something to watch on a Saturday night. Need something to do. That's cool. Watch Cujo. Nathan Brace Hall. Um, yeah, I'd be pretty neutral in a recommendation for the book, uh, other than the King Diehards. What? What? That said, what's hard to ignore? You know, we've spent a couple months now talking about Halloween. The five of us just watched uh, Halloween Ends. Like you. Laurie Strode is the proto-final girl. Like, this is yeah. the bedrock firmament of that conceit in culture. So, to Cujo, what you're talking about, right. not final girl, but as in, like, when you think man versus beast in, in literature, this is in the mix. Yes. And and for many people, is the signature. Yeah. So, it's hard to just, like, totally uh, dismiss it from that standpoint. I found it relatively boring as the, the text and honestly relatively unthrilling, like, like just not that engaging the, the, so neutral to not really on reading the text. I do. I like the movie. Um, I, I think it's, it's got some of the fat, uh, still in, in play, but it's, it's aim is truer. It's aim is more direct, uh, with what it's trying to do and how it sets it up. Uh, and from that standpoint is, is a pretty, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a worthwhile watch as part of your October. It's a worthwhile watch as just part of educating yourself on the horror canon. So yeah, I do recommend it from that standpoint. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, I, uh, thoroughly enjoy was, was vastly looking forward to and have really appreciated it. I love when we get to record a quarterly King all in the same space. Right. That's, yeah. that's, that's delightful. And I think the the conversation benefited from it as well. I really appreciate everybody you know, uh, acquainting yourself with the material, bringing the, the, the full open-hearted uh, talents that you bring to a conversation like this. And, and I've gained a lot from just thinking about this. And I think even though the experience of the material may be negligible in certain cases, I feel like this conversation has been really rewarding. And yeah, so I'm very, definitely. very thankful for that. Um, and so that puts uh, this next Quarterly King installment uh, in the books. Uh, as of this recording, 
We do not know uh, in the Fog Pod where we are going next, just because we're recording this a bit earlier than it'll be releasing. Um, so listeners can stay tuned to social media in the various places to find out exactly uh, where we're going to be going after this. Uh, but as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and not the end of the conversation. In that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Thank you all so much. Blake, Ian, Andy, Nathan, as always. Listeners, thank you so much, and we will see you next week. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media and episode archive, essays, merchandise, and more. If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash the fear of God podcast, where you will unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online events, and so much more. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of tracermatula.com for our artwork. Our assortment of talented musicians, Andrew Nelson, the Island family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes. And to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music. Special thank you also to Tyler Smith at morethanonelesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, everybody. <laughs>